This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we continue on Tap 9 month to talk about Flex Groups, the new infinite scale file system feature in on Tap 9. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi and we are still in on tap nine month. I'm sitting here with Glenn Sizemore. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Justin. How are you? I'm super. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> also on the phone today is Andrew Sullivan. Um, Andrew, why aren't you here? Uh, because I, uh, I'll be honest, I woke up late this morning and the thought of driving 30 minutes in when I could have just gotten out of bed and started work was more appealing. Okay. I, I applaud the honesty. I, I, I'm not going to admit how many work from home days start like that. <laughs> so yeah, instead of wasting, you know, the 30 plus minutes to drive in and all that, I just opened up the laptop and started working. See, I drove in and then realized I forgot my badge and decided, man, I really want to drive home, but I have to do this today. I'm going to stay. That's the kind of dedication you can expect from me. So he's been in the podcast studio since 8 a.m. I have, because I can't leave. Yes. If I do, I'll be locked out. So did you go and get a temporary badge, or have you just been sneaking in behind people all day? We're not going to answer that. Uh, That is, I cannot confirm nor deny what happened there. (laughs) All right, so this week, we get to talk about something I am very excited about, because I am working as a technical marketing engineer for it, Flex Groups. And to do that, uh, we've brought in some experts uh, Sunita Rao, Shreya, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this last name. Shreya, go ahead and say it for me before I butcher it. Shreya Paramkasam. Thank you. Paramkasam. Hey, I did it. And Richard Jernigan. So we'll go around uh, the virtual room because everybody's on the phone. All right, we'll start off with Sunita Rao. Sunita, tell us about what you do here at NetApp. Hey, Justin. Uh, good to be on the podcast. I'm Sunita Rao. I'm a director of product management for uh, the file services space within, uh, within data on tap. I manage all of the File services protocols, SIFS, NFS, along with Flex Groups. So I, I have to be on my best behavior because Sunita is officially my manager now. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm at work, Sunita. I'm working very hard. I, I can't appreciate you enough, Justin, for all the work that you do. <laughs> all right. Uh, Shreya Paramkusam, because I want to say it again. Uh, tell us what Good, you do. You got right it right this time. <laughs> all right. I'm Shreya. I am the product manager for Flex Groups. That's it? That's all you That's do it. here? That, that says it all. You're not that the product manager for everything else? Because I'm certainly the TME for everything else. Oh, then I am too. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna, I was getting ready to ask. So, at what point are you gonna tell us what Flex Groups has to do with NFS? Uh, actually, a lot. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll find out then. All right. Cool. All right. Now, last but not least, uh, one of the developers for Flex Groups, and this is a guy I've worked with for a while. He used to work on the Coral stuff with uh, GX. Uh, Richard Jernigan, could you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do here at NetApp. As little as I can get away with. No, uh, hi, I, I'm Richard. I've been with NetApp for about 13 years now, and Flex Groups would represent my, uh, let's see, sixth distributed file system in my career. So that's basically what I do. I make file systems distribute. So I've, I've often referred to Flex Groups is, as if Coral and Infinite Volumes had a baby. Is that accurate or not? Oh, I, actually, I think Coral and Infinite Volumes have a lot more in common with each other than either does with Flex Groups. But ah, we, we can get into that we as we get, get into deeper okay, into that. Okay, good. We can, yeah. we can clear up some misconceptions. All right, excellent. So uh, to start off, we're going to talk about the general overview of what a Flex Group is, because I'm sure you're all asking yourselves, why do I care about what a Flex Group is? What is it? 
And then we're going to talk about some use cases, and we will talk about lots of other things regarding the Flex Group. So we'll start off with Sunita and Shreya to give us the high-level overview of what a Flex Group is. So Sunita, take it away. Okay, thank you, Justin. So Flex Groups is this cool uh, large container technology that will help you to scale uh, both for capacity as well as performance. It's uh, it's a capacity. It's a container that's balanced for either of the use cases. Will help you to grow to as much as a 20 petabyte container with almost about 400 billion files. That's a huge, huge space to manage, and uh, this will help you to grow seamlessly based on the workload profile. So you said 400 billion files. How is that different from what we've already done? So um, you had uh, the flex walls uh, in the past that, I mean, it's still there. Um, so flex walls are targeted for those workloads which really don't need a large amount of space. So the intelligent aspect of it, and Richard can add more on the technology side is, uh, you know, we've stitched all those flex walls into, um, you know, to build that 400 billion count, which will help uh, for environments that really need scale and, uh, you know, uh, large file counts. So what's our current limit of files on a FlexVault? We can go as high as up to 2 billion, uh, where if you can actually have about 200 of those FlexVaults together, that's where the count comes to 400 billion. Okay, so 200 FlexVaults times 2 billion, 400 billion. So we're actually extremely extending out how many files we can have in an active file system. Yeah, that's right. Now, let's talk about size. How, how far can we size in terms of, uh, I guess, capacity versus flex walls? So you can, you can start as small as the flex wall size, which is 100 terabytes today, within a, with, a, with, a, with a single flex group, and extend to growing up to about 20 petabytes, which is about growing yourself up to 200 flex walls within a single container, and that would span across a 10-node cluster. Uh, the traditional uh, limits for NetApp NAS cluster is 24 nodes. You can go up to 24 nodes as well, but the tested limits that we want to propose the customers is 10 nodes today, and that's where your number of 20 petabytes and 200, um, you know, 200 volumes within uh, within that container, which is holding up to 20 petabytes of data, comes from. So we talked about capacity. We talked about number of files. So how does how does all this work? Like, I mean, at a high level, and we'll, and we'll get into a lower level with Richard in terms of technical um, content. But how does Flex Groups work as a high level, and why is that something that people would want? So let me put it this way: I mean, uh, when we did uh, Flex Walls in the past, and uh, Flex Walls were node bound, so this particular technology worked very well for workloads which really did not care about huge size or auto grow itself into large scale um, you know capacity um, environments now why do people care about flex groups it's like i said for workloads that really require huge scale without getting uh, bogged down with the fact that you know they need to constantly keep monitoring the workload keep moving the workload around just to enable more space this can help us to actually have um, uh, from an administrative standpoint a uh, uh, zero involvement from a system admin who could actually set it and forget it and have the capacity auto grow itself in terms of you know whenever you add new volumes when the space is over it alerts you where you can go ahead and add new volumes and that could auto balance itself to enable um, better management of of data do we actually call it a container in the system uh no we call it a volume in the system okay yeah so it's basically just a bunch of flex balls stitched together more or less with yeah it makes sense with hard links right so you keep mentioning uh, workloads. Um, what type of workloads are we looking at here? 
Uh, we are looking for workloads which need the high performance and capacity, and that goes into talking about workloads like media, high tech, uh, talking about manufacturing, oil and gas, and uh, EDA workloads, which will be benefited a lot with this kind of a new technology. And that said, we don't limit it from the other general purpose workloads like virtualization, uh, which is also one of the use cases, but uh, the well oiled and the well-tested system is for the workloads, which I just mentioned, which will, which will be media, uh, high-tech, EDA, oil and gas, and healthcare. So what about workloads like, uh, say, VDI or you know, VMware data stores? You can use it for workloads uh, like VDI and VMware data stores today. I mean, you can use the same technology in there, but you would not be leveraging a lot because you're looking at, um, from a virtualization standpoint, you would need a large container as such. I mean, you're distributed already with the with the FlexWall technology. And moving forward, we're gonna look at fine tuning this uh, large flex group to enable itself to be managed for these kind of workloads as well, which means we need support like cloning, we need support like, uh, you know, integration with third-party tools like the vSphere infrastructure, those will be coming in the future releases. And that's precisely why we are talking about virtualization as a future workload for this uh, category. All right. So we talked about performance uh, in terms of, you know, why we'd want to have a flex group, right? Like it, it's going to add performance. Let's talk a little bit more about why that is. And some early, can, we, can we talk about early results about what we're seeing in, in general terms? So we are seeing almost like uh, 6x better performance in terms of uh, build workloads. And these have been both internally tested as, as well as tested by the customers. We have a bunch of customer proof points that will uh, say that for build specific workloads, we are really seeing the job time performance improvements, which is as much as six times when you compare to the regular FlexWall itself. So Shreya, that 6x performance, is that a result of parallelization across multiple flex volumes or something else? Yes, that is due to uh, parallelization and utilizing is, is that... the various cores of a single node. Right, so you're actually you're, you're parallelizing across the nodes as well as the CPU, but it's also a indication of uh, reducing a the metadata bottleneck on the volumes, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was one thing we didn't actually mention with the performance numbers. So those are 6x performance with spinning disk. Yes, that's right. right. We're, not, we're not even doing flash yet. Yes, that's right. You broke me. Why? <laughs> <laughs> why what? Why Why doesn't it work with flash? It's not that it doesn't work with flash. It's just they haven't been testing it with flash, is my understanding. Is that right, Yeah, Shira? that's right. So we just started testing with, with flash. Uh, we just had one customer input about a, a week ago. So we will formalize uh, the flash testing results, and we expect to see a much better performance on flash systems. So all the 6x numbers that we are talking about is pure spinning disks. So speaking of that, if I want flex groups right now in ONTAP 9, because this is ONTAP 9 month. It is. It is. Can I get it right now? Oh, yeah. You can get it right now. The only thing you need to do is uh, reach out to Shreya, and she's going to explain the process on how you can get access to it. We actually have a DL we can actually send you to. So it's flexgroups-info at netup.com. So if you wanted to get more information or access to flex groups, you would email that DL and it would direct to the people involved with giving you that access. Shreya, if you can give us a little information about how to get that as well. Sure, yeah. Once we reach out to us, we can analyze your workload and then if it's a good fit, we can definitely sign you up for uh, uh, access on 9.0. It is a limited customer only at this point and we would welcome uh, any customer uh, involvement. So if I'm a customer and I want to use this, what sort of uh, caveats do I need to keep in mind for ONTAP 9? 
So for ONDAP 9, it's NFS v3 only, and it is uh, we do not currently have an upgrade path to 9.1. So we request you that if you create a flex group in 9.0, you would essentially destroy it. So you could use it for testing. Um, you you could test it, you could play with it, just that destroy any data you have and then move on to 9.1. And from then on, it'll be seamless. Yeah, so this is all scratch space right now, right? This is kicking the tires, seeing how it works in your environment? That's correct. Right, no production workloads yet. Mm -hmm. um, but there is an uh, early access program starting soon for 9.1, isn't there? That's right. So the early access for 9.1 would start around August. So we welcome customers for that also. So if you're interested in 9.1, which is a wider version, uh, the features that Sunita just mentioned about, you're welcome to email us on that same DL, and we will hook you up with 9.1 when it begins. And the good thing about the EAP or EVP or whatever it is uh, on 9.1 is that there's no upgrade path to worry about. So you're not worrying about blowing away your flex group after it goes GA. That's correct. Does that mean I don't have snapshots in 9.0? No. Uh, also, snapshots are there in 9.0. Snap mirror isn't. How do the snapshots work in 9.0? So snapshot uh, is at a flex group level. So you would have to take the snapshot of the entire flex group. Okay, so I have to take the snapshots of everything at the same time, essentially, to get it to work properly. Well, it does that for you. You just tell it to take a snapshot of the flex group the same way you would snapshot a flex vol, and all the members respond. Yeah, correct. But if a member is not responding, what happens? It cleans up after itself and says, oh, I can't take your snapshot right now. So you, when you so, get a snapshot, it's a coherent snapshot across all the members, or you don't get the snapshot. So I don't have to do anything, really, if it fails. Better not. All right, Shreya, Sunita, thanks a lot for giving us that overview of Flex Groups. Um, again, if you want to contact Shreya or Sunita about Flex Groups, you can use flexgroups-info at netapp.com. Shreya or Sunita, are you on Twitter or social media that you would like to divulge here on the podcast? Uh, not at this moment. We'll, we'll set up one and then share with it. We'll share with you guys. Okay, okay, there you go. All right. Now that we've gone through the overview, let's talk about the technical aspects of it. And to do that, I brought in the expert, Richard Jernigan. Um, Richard is the guy I lean on when I try to figure out what's going on with this whole flex group piece, right? So, Richard, hi. Hi, good to hear from you. So, Richard, I want you to give me a, a technical deep dive, just kind of a, at a very, as deep as you can go in terms of how the ingest works with flex groups. So, when I do a NAS operation from a client, how is that flex group distributing my files across the system and what's being done on the back end to do that for me? Wow, blank check. How much time do we have? Uh, days. Days. All right, well, I, I'm going to have to get a glass of water here because there's a lot to cover. Um, we probably go for 40 minutes before it's a problem. That's awesome. Yeah. How yes. long do you think before my wife comes in here and says, you need to get off that podcast and clean the dishes? <laughs> no? Uh, that's, that's your opportunity to spin around and say, it's this thing called work? Oh, yeah, yeah, work. <laughs> You could. That sounds like a Beastie Boys video. <laughs> uh, that that, that, that podcast is in about two hours. I'll be on that one later. Okay, cool. All right. So when a when a request comes in from a NAS client, say an NFS client, says I want to create a new file, uh, that request goes to an Inblade today. You know the the filers that we sell is they have Inblades and DBlades. The Inblades are they receive network requests and they send the request to the DBlades, which are the the part that contribute that talk to the disks. So when when a request comes in from a NAS client to create a new file, it lands at an inblade, and the inblade says, oh, this is targeting a flex group, and it sends that request to whatever member volume in the group happens to own the parent directory. So let's say you're creating a file within the root directory, and the root directory always lives in one of the members. It's probably member number one. That's an easy way to start. 
And so that request would land at that dblade, and the dblade would say, okay, I need to create a new file, and it would consult the ingest heuristics. You mentioned that the ingest process. That means ingest is just the creation of new content, the creation of new directories, new files, anything else. Um, it would consult the ingest heuristics. The ingest heuristics would advise it, right now, member one looks really busy, member two doesn't look very busy, and so I want you to create this new file on member two. And so we would, we would allocate what's called an inode from member two. I don't know how technical you want to get here, but it would allocate an inode from member two to actually store the data for the new file. And it would add a hard link within the parent root directory that says this new file is actually allocated on member two, not member one. And it would point it over there. We call that a remote hard link as opposed to a regular hard link, which is just local. That means that the inode is drawn from the same volume as the parent directory. So this idea of a remote hard link, that's what's new to flex groups. It's something that ONTAP's flex files have not been able to do prior to this. They, they always used local hard links until now, which means the flex group is the first thing that's able to actually use a directory entry granular file distribution. And that's really the key to how a flex group distributes data. So what's new in Waffle subsystem that allows us to do a remote hard link? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I think the major component that's new there is an aspect called the remote access layer, or the Waffle remote. This is something we've been working on for about four years now. So it's taken quite a while to bring it to the point where we feel it's, it's ready to put it in the customer's you know, important data. The remote access layer is a – it's basically a write-back cache, which if you're familiar with the terminology, a, a write-back cache is – uh, a, a cache that allows you to make changes at the cache, and then it can commit those changes to the origin later on, as opposed to a write-through cache, which is typically used for read caching. And if someone wants to change something, the cache would just pass the write request on to the origin and have the origin do it. So a write-back cache is a lot more complex to implement because it involves issues of atomicity. So when a write-back cache receives the authority to make changes to an origin-side piece of content, like an origin-side inode, then it has to be able to make those changes atomically with changes to other inodes. So when we finally were able to get that to work correctly, so we're able to get the remote access layer within Waffle to manipulate inodes all over the cluster with uh, appropriate atomicity, then we knew we were able to implement flex groups safely. Ah. And now all the now all the comments about QA start to make sense. This is this was a massive change. This was a tremendously yes. massive change. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand why you guys are being so so conservative with with the the supportability initially at launch. It makes way much more sense now. Yeah. It's not just a question of being able to create a remote hard link. That's easy. We could have done that from day one. The tricky part is we have to make the overall flex group that's composed of 200 members or so. It has to yeah. still behave exactly with the the correct acid semantics. You know the the atomicity that you would expect the durability that you would expect, the transactional changes. Whenever you create a file, you can't cr allocate the inode and not create a durant or vice versa. You have to do them both or neither, and that's the tricky bit. So you're telling me that you want all my data to be consistent? Yeah, I know. It's kind of radical. <laughs> I'm not sure all of our competitors are really worried about that, but we certainly are. Yeah, absolutely. Was that, was that too subtle? Was that a subtle dig? I could turn that up. No, that's... <laughs> there, there was nothing subtle at all no, there. Oh, okay, good, that's, good. That's good. So we talked about the remote access layer. We talked about the hard links. Let's talk a little bit about what happens at the root parent directory and the hard links. So the question I've gotten a few times and that has been asked you know, by people when they start thinking about how all this works is, what happens if my root directory goes away, right? Let's say in the event of a failure, if I lose my root directory with those remote hard links, what happens to everything else in that flex group? Well, it's kind of an unfair question. Uh, you can go to one of our competitors and say, you're protected against, uh, you know, you have N plus three protection. What happens if you lose four nodes? Well, you're going to lose access to it. 
Same thing here. We have a number of layers in ONTAP that prevent you from getting in that situation in the first place. You know, it, the idea of a particular FlexVault member just dropping out, it's actually pretty hard to get into. You know, you'd, you'd have to lose an entire aggregate, which means you, your RAID DP or RAID TP is not going to be able to save you. So you've lost four disks out of an entire shelf. Uh, you have to lose, or alternately, you could lose both members in a SFO pair. Um, it's just extraordinarily hard to get in that situation in the first place. In the event that it does happen, then you have some outages. You have uh, difficulties getting to traversal of the root directory or traversal of the, the particular inodes that happen to be stored on that member until you can recover them. Okay, yep, that answers the next question I was getting ready to ask. <laughs> so, you know, you say some access, but there is going to be a chance where you're able to access some things in that flex group as well, right? So if they don't have hard links in those volumes that were lost you know, for aggregate loss or shelf loss, then you may potentially be able to still access data in that flex group, correct? It depends on the protocol. Uh, NFS requests tend to work with a parent directory and a child name within them. So if you already have a parent directory file handle cached and you want to traverse from there down to children, as long as you don't traverse through the member volume that's temporarily unavailable, you'll be fine. Okay. So what about administrative error? Uh, can, can I go in as, as a cluster administrator and do bad things that would break this? Or since that they're now part of this flex group system, is the system smart enough to say, no, dummy, you can't take that volume offline. I don't care how many times you ask and what flags you set. It's pretty smart. It, it, the flex group is administratively presented as if it's a single volume. So until you, you get your badge on and say, I'm an advanced administrator, you don't even really see the individual members as something you can manipulate. You could bring the entire flex group offline just like you could any other flex vol. But you don't really get the option to even see that there are 660 members in here and you want to take member 3 and 52 offline. Those, those options don't even appear. If you're an advanced administrator, then you can see the members. But if you try to take the members offline, it will say you can't do that. You have to go into even further advanced modes before that. They're diagnostic and, and uh, test privileged. Gotcha. And you know, we, don't, we don't recommend you do that. So yeah. te technically, I could do it, though. You could. Well, and we really do that in QA purposes <laughs> because, you know, we want to understand what happens if a member volume does drop offline. So that's the kind of uh, injection testing is what we call it, where we inject errors and we inject problem conditions and we have resiliency events and we want to see how the system holds up. So let's talk about the parallelization of metadata in other data operations. So Sunita touched on a little bit at a higher level. Could you give us a little better idea of how all that works at the low levels? Yeah, this is a tricky bit. Uh, this is actually a pretty common question. I have yet to find a really good way to describe it without, without dumping on parts of ONTAP that are a little older. The, the problem is a thing called affinity or affinities. Uh, we have a method of coarse grain symmetric multiprocessing in ONTAP called Waffinity that breaks up operations into certain classes. So one operation may run uh, against a particular member volume, another operation may run and requires access to the entire aggregate that that volume lives on. And you can run some of these operations in parallel with others, but not there's not a full matrix. So you can run, say, two read calls in parallel, even if they're for the same file, or you can run one set adder call for this volume and one set out a call for another volume in parallel, but not if they're on the same aggregate and that sort of thing. That topology is called Waffinity. And it's hard to describe this without, without getting it wrong. Waffinity is old technology. It's very good, but it could be better. And it struggles with a couple operations that are really metadata intensive. In particular, simple file creates and file unlinks. Waffinity has a really hard time getting those packed so that they can all run in parallel if you have multiple creates or unlinks running in the same volume at the same time. So that's one of the places where flex groups really make a huge difference is when you have a, a load running against a flex group member, 
the flex group logic, those ingest heuristics I talked about, help distribute the, the data set that you created automatically among 200 constituents instead of just the one flex vol. And when that happens, those operations are now running on different member volumes, on different aggregates, and on different nodes than the other ones. And so they can run in parallel when before they could not. And that's when we start to see these really dramatic improvements in uh, concurrency for metadata-intensive operations. Can we? Could we build a, just throwing this out there, 200 FlexVol Flex Group for just for that, that higher concurrency and performance benefits and just say, listen, I don't need 400 petabytes, right? I've only got like four terabytes of data, let's say. But, absolutely. But, absolutely. In fact, huh. that's, that's one of the things that was, I don't want to say as a revelation, but it was certainly a, a surprise. It was early on in the Flex Group process when we first started floating these Flex Groups to internal customers and then to a select set of external customers we found more and more often that what customers were interested in was not just a sheer scale. They didn't just want the giant 10 petabyte storage. What they wanted was a small storage, you know, 100 gigabytes even, something small, but they wanted a lot better concurrency than they were getting today. And so you can create one of a small size, even though it has 8, 16, 32, or 200 member volumes and get that high concurrency without really throwing a lot of disks in the way. When I, when I first looked at what flex groups were, I kind of looked at it like, oh, this is the peanut butter to the chocolate of cluster data ONTAP. Yeah. Because cluster data ONTAP's architecture lends itself very well to what flex groups is doing here. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so if we have a moment of coming clean, right, if I'm perfectly honest with myself, uh, I have I look at flex groups internally and said, well, this is like Infinivals V2, and I was never really interested in Infinivals, so nothing to see here. Keep moving. Um, but But... If we're getting around with Infinity, now I'm listening. So Infinivals, actually, <laughs> the reason why Infinivals didn't really take off is because you had a metadata volume that was a yeah. single flex vol that limited your file count as well as your Wafinity processes. This eliminates that metadata. So volume. it's it's and it's the ingest heuristic system that that they built that 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 cracked that nut. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah, that's that is exactly it. The infinite volumes and Coral shared a common ancestry. That is, they both had a single volume that was all about the metadata, and that. That meant that they were both really stuck for metadata-intensive traffic, and Flex Groups really breaks that. Well, I mean, that's that's how just about everything works. You know, the, the, taking a, a industry example, you know, whatever, just fucking a file system people know about Windows, the one I know the most about, whatever, uh, cluster shared volume CSVs. They're not magic. They they have one node which is allowed to allocate ranges, and every other node is is allowed to read and write into the ranges that. Have, they've been whitelisted for. So there's only ever one node that's ever doing metadata operations. Everything else is just proxied. You know, it sounds like what you guys have built is a true scale-out file system that 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 doesn't have a single metadata master, which I'm kind of trying to come to grips with. Exactly that. This, this, as I said, this is my sixth distributed file system. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I eventually got it right. <laughs> <laughs> So it's funny because, like, this whole architecture of having multiple flex balls distributing the load across your cluster, that's yeah. been kind of been done in the field ad hoc, but without the flex groups on top of it. It's just been like, okay, we've got a large directory structure. Let's go ahead and design it so we, we get away from the Waffinity piece and we just spread our stuff across different volumes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's what, as you said, this is kind of the peanut butter to uh, flex group ONDAP C modes chocolate, where you used to be able to do these uh, flex ball based hierarchies where you had uh, a flex fall junctioned underneath another flex fall and you tried to make that mirror your workload so that your work set would be broken up among multiple flex falls manually. Flex groups make all that automatic. So you just create the one container 
and it does the distribution among the, the flex walls for you. It, it's fair to say that uh, Flex Group really makes the clustered on tap global namespace file granular. Yeah, this is a true global namespace, a true large bucket. Because before we didn't really have a large bucket; up, we only had it to a, up a, up to a hundred terabytes, right? So I mean, ten years ago, great, hundred terabytes. I can never fill that up. Now, <laughs> I can fill that up with a few a uh, few video files, you know. Right. It's it's the kind of technology that had had it existed early enough could prevent something like VVOLs from ever needing to be manufactured in the first place. Yes. And I actually, I think that it does make sense in a VDI environment because you can actually set your data store up to be a flex group and have your VMs being distributed across different flex balls in your environment. So it, just because it's not a large bucket doesn't yeah. mean you can't use it for VDI environments. So that brings up an interesting question to me. Does, does that mean that you can do, can we dynamically add and remove flex volumes from the flex group? Yeah, you can. Add, yeah, you yeah, can certainly dynamically add them. Uh, we don't allow you to dynamically remove member volumes because they already have data on them and it's cumbersome to try to move the data off the member volumes. What you can do is you can pick up the member volumes you've already created and you can use volume move to move those member volumes from one aggregate to another. Got it. Yeah, so you have a lot of granularity there. So it also helps eliminate bottlenecks, right? So if you have a node that's getting killed, you can actually identify that, move your member volumes off to a node that's not getting killed. Right. Or you could even, if you have a two-node cluster and you've got a, you know, 20 member volumes on it, you can break that up into a uh, four-node cluster and move half your member volumes off to two other nodes. And what's also great is with ONTAP9, we have the ability to split up our CPs across different aggregates. Yeah. So I can have multiple aggregates on my node, and that gives me even more granularity in terms of my workloads. And I can vol move in between individual nodes. So I can have a single node cluster that's effectively running two different threads of CPs because I have two aggregates. Yes, and in fact, those, that 6x performance improvement that uh, Shreya mentioned earlier, we saw that on a yeah. single node cluster. So this is a single node that was running a FlexVol-based test, and we ran it on a flex group instead, still behind a single node, and we got you know substantially more performance than we saw previously. So is the assumption that all of the FlexVols are homogenous in the flex group? Yes, they are administratively maintained automatically. When you say you want a 100 terabyte flex group and you want it to have 10 members, then it will automatically make each of those members have the same size and have the same properties and the same snapshot schedule and all that. that all that is maintained for you. Yeah, and it's basically done through a single command if you do it through CLI. It's like a flex group yep. deploy command. Exactly. And, and then on the back end, if you want to do it through GUIs, there's going to be a GUI support for that where it acts like a flex ball. And of course, Zappy. Yes, I just gotta ask, man. We didn't. You, we didn't. You know me. I gotta look, ask. We're already giving you a distributed file system. We cannot give you a new API engine as well. All right. It, are you sure that on command API services is not required for this feature? I am positive. Okay, that's great news. So, um, you mentioned how well we mentioned earlier how we're not doing flash testing necessarily, but it does kind of bring in us a point about flash and doing multiple. Uh, I guess disk types in a cluster. So when you're doing multiple disk types in a cluster, you naturally wouldn't want to have a flex group spanning all those nodes because you want to have predictable performance. So if I have a, a, a yeah. AFF pair over yeah, here... that could be really weird. And I have a uh, you know 3270 over here in my cluster, yeah. I don't want to have my flex group spanning all that. So I'd, have, I'd want to actually specify the aggregates when I create the flex group to tell it which nodes to be on because I want to have, make sure that everything is operating the right way. I mean, don't we have that same problem with disks, though? I mean, if, if, if I have an 8080 and an 8020, and the 8080 has got a 100 terabyte aggregate with, you know, hybrid aggregate with flash pools, and the 8020 has just got 14 SAS drives, 
you know, it's the same, it's the same core problem, you know, files that randomly get distributed across those two buckets are going to have wildly different performance characteristics. Yeah, but in this case, we're dealing with a single bucket. So we're like looking at multiple flex vols that are distributed across multiple disk types and any, at any given time, we may be hitting flash or we may be hitting uh, another type of a spinning disk, right? So you, you don't have any control over that ingest, right, Richard? That's right. It's all automatic. I mean, the, the ingest process is monitoring the flex group continuously. About every second, every one of the member volumes checks in with the flex group. And they, they use a viral propagation of properties. It's actually a rather neat mechanism where they all kind of announce to their peers what their current status is, and then they will propagate that to the next one. The collective result is that every node that's participating in the flex group service knows what the other nodes are like and what their status is, how much traffic they're receiving, how much free space they have, whether they've been seeing errors recently, whether they have scanners running, you know, things like a waffle iron or whatever else, any kind of activity that's going to drain the system performance. And the ingest heuristics adapt moment to moment to those numbers. So if you start seeing one member volume that is overloaded because it's very busy because it's, you know, say an old school node with really slow disks, then it'll start transferring the new ingest onto the underloaded members in compensation. Is there any kind of back-end uh, rebalance processes available to, to, to have it go run that again and redistribute? That is such a common question. I, I have to give you my common answer, and that is if we've done our jobs right, you don't need it. So no, we don't have that, and that's because our, our goal is to avoid needing it in the first place. So we have proportional controls in all things. If, if one member volume becomes 10% more busy than the others, then it will receive in compensation 10% less traffic. So you'd have to have an yeah, enormous increase in load before it would really shut one of them down entirely. And really, the, the favoring mechanism is going to be more capacity-based, right? I mean, we're going to favor capacity more than we're going to favor throughput and such. Right? We, we do both, actually. Some of the early documentation, you may have read some of the earlier pages, uh, you know, yes. wiki pages and such about flex groups that talk almost exclusively about capacity-based balancing. But even in ONTAP 9, we, we changed those algorithms. We actually have some number of patents that are outstanding for this to talk about traffic-based balancing as well so that we do observe the load that's on the system and respond to that as well as capacity imbalances. So, so Richard, I have another question for you. Um, so we, I know we talked about parallelizing flex vault access, right, increasing the speed that metadata operations can be done. Um, so essentially we're distributing these actions across ideally multiple nodes. Are we still accessing the flex group through a single node, right, a single you know, one or 10 gigabit in interface, or does network access also get distributed? Well, that's, that's both a softball and a hardball question. Uh, in cluster mode on tap, of course, you can access any lift to get to any node in the cluster. All right, right. It doesn't really matter which one you go through, and you're going to be able to get to the data. But that's, so that's the softball answer. The hardball answer is some lifts are faster to get to your data than others. So uh, I guess what you're asking is, it, can I still get the fast path to get to my data consistently when I'm using a flex group that's distributed around the entire cluster. Is that? Well, so if I have, you know, 10 flex balls in my flex group, I have 10 files. Theoretically, it's, uh, they're distributed across at least two of those nodes. Yeah, very right? likely 10, but yeah. Yeah, so would, would I get, if it is 10 flex balls on 10 nodes, would I be able to aggregate, right? Would, would each of those get a uh, get network bandwidth on that particular node, or does all of the network access go into a single node and then get distributed across the cluster network to the actual volume that contains the data? So, 
it's a TCP connection, right? So we make a single TCP connection to a NAS interface, and then we go from there. Either we go remote or we go local, right, Richard? Right. The the NFS client it, it will connect to whichever LIF it wants to, and you know you probably have round robin DNS is a very common way to configure it, and you know so one NFS client will talk to one LIF preferentially, another NFS client will talk to a different LIF. And those will land on one end blade or another around the cluster, depending on which one is exposing that particular lift at the moment. So once those requests land at the end blade, it's the end blade's job to look at the inbound request and say, where is the D blade that owns the data that the client wants to get to? And the end blade will route that request to whichever D blade that is. Sometimes that'll be a local request because the data is right on the same node. And sometimes it'll be a remote request because it has to go from this end blade to a different yeah. node's D blade. So... Uh, is it a safe assumption for me to just assume that, that the majority of changes here were all on the ingest side and, and the read paths are the way that read paths have always been inside ONTAP? It's very similar. That's one of the reasons we went down this path is because right. clustered ONTAP gives us that, that abstraction already, and all we had to do was make it file granular. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we saw dramatic performance improvements in a flex group even when their flex group is behind a single node. So we can see five, six time performance improvements depending on what workload you're doing, even if all of your flex group members are on the same node. So if you really want to get local traffic, so you never want to suffer into remote D traffic, you can put flex groups behind, say, node A and just mount lifts on node A to talk to them, and you'll still get a lot of improvement in performance. You'll still get a lot of scalability. Yeah, just not as, as infinite scale as you would Exactly. Expect, right? Sooner or later, you, you say, I can't put any more disks behind this particular node because, you know, my, my 8020 or whatever doesn't have, as many, uh, doesn't have as many fiber channel adapters. You know, you're going to hit some limit sooner or later, but you can still get a lot of, uh, lot of improvement just with that kind of configuration. And, and one way to get around it is create a new directory. And if it, you know, hopefully it lands on, I guess you can, I mean, can you control where the directory lands on another, you know, would it land on another node? Oh, it, FlexGroup will manage all that for you. Okay, so what if I add like a new empty volume and then, you know, on my, my next node and I create a directory? Well, that's actually a neat thing. It, we do allow you to add more flex group members. So let's say you start with a 10-member flex group and you realize it's starting to get pretty full or you, you realize that you want to have more uh, throughput available from your metadata operations or whatever. Anyway, you want to expand your flex group to having 20 members instead. So you add 10 new members. And those, two nin those 10 new members are initially empty. They don't have any data. We don't retroactively try to grab stuff off the existing 10 members and move it over. Now, if you want those 10 new members to be distributed well, you probably add them on uh, the same nodes that already have the existing 10 members, or you can move half of your existing members around. Anyway, you get the idea that you want to have some empty members co-located co with some full members so that you get your nodes utilized. And when the traffic comes in after that situation, the flex groups ingest heuristics are going to know that there are 10 dramatically underutilized member volumes out there, and there are 10 that are really well utilized compared to their peers. And so the, they're automatically going to shift your new ingest onto the underutilized members to a, a large extent in order to compensate for that until such time as those new members start to fill up and the old ones through the process of regular attrition start to lose their content during normal use, and they eventually even out, and then we spread across all 20. And the goal here is to avoid having like an Eno space return exactly. on a flex group when we have perfectly empty flex group members in the in the flex group. Yeah, yeah. Never want sense. that. Also, one thing you want to consider with this whole idea is when you add a member, you don't add just one. Exactly, <laughs> that would be bad. And is there any sort of thing in place in the system that kind of warns you when you try to do that? Like, let's say you you had a thirty member flex group, and then you added a single member, or you you add, you told it to add a single member. Would it warn you? Absolutely, it would. So, Richard. Um, in previous iterations of scale-out file systems, and we had issues where if something happened in the background, we had to run some sort of 
uh, process to fix it, right? And it could take us down for a while, cause issues overall for our production. With Flex Groups, my understanding is there's a new feature or a new uh, tool underneath the covers that does some automatic repair of things. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Flex Groups indeed have something new in that area. It's called AIR. It stands for Automatic Incremental Repair. What we used to do, uh, let, me, let me give you an example of the old coral days. If something went wrong in an old coral volume, this was the, what do we call it, the um, uh, high performance option, HPO volumes. I think that was the customer facing name for it. If you had one of these things and we found a metadata inconsistency among the member volumes, coral would automatically drop all of the member volumes offline immediately and wait until you ran a, a complex tool across them. We call it gridiron that would check all of your member volumes for consistency before it would allow them to come back online and service traffic. Very painful stuff. And I'm sure everybody listening to the podcast understands the premise of Waffle Iron, which is a, a very venerable tool. It's very effective, but it's also fairly painful to have to run. You know, If you were to hit a metadata inconsistency on a flex fall, it very often will pop the volume offline until you start Waffle Iron, and Waffle Iron will do an exhaustive test of, test of the thing and allow the volume to be uh, used while it's running, but your performance is going to be poor. So in a flex group, we realize that you have a huge container, and you have a lot of important stuff in that one container – it's really not acceptable to have to take the whole thing offline to check for errors when we find something wrong in the middle of it. So we introduced this new resiliency model of error where if there is a problem, say a, a create call is trying to establish a new file in a directory and we see a problem existing in the existing directory, instead of taking the whole volume offline, we will put that one create call to sleep while we look at the, the specific problem we just discovered make an incremental repair to the directory or the metadata involved, and then reawaken the original create call. So we, rather than making anybody stall and wait, we just fix the problems in line as they're discovered. It's uh, kind of a, an automatic healing mechanism so that all the administrator gets is an EMS message that said, hey, I found a problem and fixed it for you. Is that is that occurring at the CP or is that occurring at the right? It's occurring right there at the right. So as soon as you try to do an operation that messes with some kind of metadata that we find an inconsistency in, we put your message to sleep, fix it, and then wake your message right back up. You don't even – it's its almost impossible for a client to even notice there was a delay. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's very good stuff. Yeah. All right, Richard, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about the technical details of Flex Groups. Do you have any sort of social media presence that you want to tout here? Uh, unfortunately not. I, I really don't. I could probably come up with one, but uh, nothing comes to mind at you the moment. Not even like ICQ? Not, what, ICQ? Is it, what are you, from 1980? <laughs> yes. Wow. I, I'll have my uh, AOL Instant Messenger hook up with yours. How's that sound? Uh, that sounds great. That sounds great. All right, Richard, thanks again. Uh, always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, if you ever want to come back and talk to, talk to us a little more about Flex Groups, feel free. It's been my pleasure. All right, so Flex Groups. We talked about Flex Groups. We talked about what it was, which was a basically a giant bucket of storage where we can stitch together a bunch of Flex Vols and get rid of metadata problems with performance uh, get infinite scale with up to 20, 20 petabytes and 400 billion files. Um, it's currently uh, in 9.0. Uh, if you want to get in contact with somebody to get access to that, you can email flexgroups-info at netapp.com. Um, am I missing anything, Glenn? Uh, no, you, it sounds like you guys are going to have an EVP for the 9.1. So yes, EVP customers... for 9.1 starting in about July to August timeframes. So if you want to contact us again, flexgroups-info at netapp.com. Sweet. All right, uh, so every week we ask you, we beg you, to send us emails to podcast.netup.com. And some of you comply, and 
We have a few this week. So, Glenn, who do we have? Uh, we got a couple here. Um, the, these, these, uh, you make it sound like we don't get any. Uh, we actually get more than than we read. We do. I just want to uh, have a pity party. We try. We we don't read them on the. If you've sent an email and you have not heard it yet, know that we don't read it on the show until we get an answer. So, if you've asked us a complicated question. Uh, we are still running around internally finding the right person to give us the right answer, and then we'll we'll go ahead and read it on air. Okay, with that disclaimer out front, uh, Glenn writes in. I picked it because he has a great name. Go figure. Uh, Glenn writes in, Hi, Justin, Andrew, and Glenn. I'd like to hear encryption at rest topic, especially at the protocol and waffle level. Wish to get Andrew's book. Thanks, Glenn, who's a systems, senior systems engineer. Um, so... Uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and put that on the list. Uh, we're going to try to find somebody to come in here and talk to us about uh, encryption at rest. Uh, we, we touched on it with the, the ONTAP 9 show uh, and the fact that, that we've got new options around key management uh, and new packaging around our NSC drives. Uh, but, but you're right. There are some technical details that we could dive in there. So let's see if we can. We're, we're, we've uh, sent an inquiry out, Glenn. I'm going to try to get someone in the show, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, definitely get you a copy of the book. Um, absolutely. We got another email coming in here. Justin uh, comes in from Dave Mora, Morera, Morera, Morera. He's yeah. one of the A team guys. I know. <laughs> Dave writes in, gentlemen, and Justin. Question number one: When can we hear more about the Tetris movies? I need to know this. Oh, the Tetris movies. We talked about that. What po- what episode was that? We talked about Tetris. I d- I... It was some derailment where I brought up Tetris. I want to say it was like the opening show of of uh, On Tap. It might have been, month. and yeah. I have no more information about the Tetris movies. It's been like six weeks. You've got nothing. You haven't figured it out yet. Um, I suggest you to go to go to Google. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll look at that later. Okay. Uh, question number two: Can I has book? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Definitely. So. Um, some really high quality questions there, Dave. Uh, um, no, but Dave, that Dave, uh, we love Dave. Dave throws in here. Uh, in a serious note, I'm a loyal listener and tell customers to listen as well. Nice job. And for what it's worth, the quote ditch driving end quote provides a mental break. So keep doing that. Cheers. So one person, Justin, one person approves of you constantly grabbing the steering wheel and yanking left. One person is enough for me to keep going. I agree. Uh, Dave and Glenn will get copies of the book out to you. Uh, send us your, your mailing address, please. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Sunita Rao, Shreya Parankusam, and Richard Jernigan. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, real deal time. Yeah. Are we going to have a July 4th episode over the shutdown? Uh, this is it. This is it? This is the July 4th it episode. Is? Okay, well, so... No. Yes, we have another yep. one coming. Is okay. So this is it? No, next one is oh, going to be... Yeah. I think we're doing OPM next. Oh, okay. Well, so I won't wish everybody a uh, safe weekend. I'm going to wish you one anyway. Okay. You should always have a safe weekend. Try not to lose any fingers. Practice safe weekend.